I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and dear friend Jacob LaCroix on this week's episode of Perfect Takes. And with us this week, we have a returning guest in Dylan Jackson, uh, formerly with PFF and has some experience kind of uh, with the Hornets. Uh, unfortunately, our team kind of sucks this year again. But uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, welcome back. It's, it's, it's nice to have you back on. Yeah, glad to be here. Talk some talk some ball. It's kind of like that that slow point in the off season before everything kicks off. So I'm excited to uh, dive into some preview stuff and some wide receivers as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, our beer of the week this week is another 4001 Yancey uh, beer, if you can believe it. This is their hazy IPA. Uh, it's called Hazy Days. It's all right. Um, definitely a pretty good brewery brewery we have been selecting from but uh let's just get right into it because like you guys said a lot of receivers in this draft and in free agency that are worth a look and just to kick off the whole panthers section because we are a panthers pod there's not really been a ton of news right because like dylan said it is the slow point um i think the biggest news was actually that former carolina panther cam newton got into a little tussle uh over the weekend at his seven on seven camp uh, he got jumped by three different people, and the hat he had on didn't move at all. Like he had it uh, super glued to his head, I guess. But and he put all three of them in their place. I don't know why people think you can uh, just uh, start attacking athletes. I mean, th- this guy faced some of the worst, or had some of the worst offensive lines in NFL history. Was taking on NFL players like that. So I don't know what they were thinking doing that to Cam. But I guess they learned their lesson. Yeah, no, uh, Cam, he's, I mean, he's six foot five, he's 250 pounds, he was throwing around like a, a sack of potatoes. And it was kind of fun to see it was it reminiscent of kind of what he did at the NFL level. And like you said, you really shouldn't mess with a uh, professional athlete who's still kind of in his prime from a physical perspective. And speaking of a guy in his prime that we failed to kind of lock up long term last offseason, Brian Burns, and we reportedly try to hand him a deal around 27 and a half million kind of turns that down and he wants 30 30 plus and right now it's probably like we're going to tag him I would guess uh, I don't think he would get tagged as a defensive end he'd probably get tagged as a linebacker which would mean that his cap number would be around 24 million this year so a little high um Dylan do you think this is a situation where we tag him and trade him like we can get a first round pick I think that would be a steal at this point yeah, I think if you listen to kind of what the the new GM Dan Morgan was saying at the the press conference, it his tone sounded a lot different talking about Brian Burns versus a guy like Frankie Luvu, who he sounded excited to to you know be talking to, getting a long term deal done with. I think that you know he he kind of held the cards close to the chest there, saying that they're not really looking to 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 add any picks right but at the end of the day like if if you're not going to come to a long-term solution here uh i think dan morgan said that they were meeting with brian burns agent uh, at some point this week i think if you can't come to a long-term solution i think at this point just go ahead and trade him because he would be wasting his prime years at this point uh a a large salary figure on a team that frankly isn't going to be going anywhere uh in the short term so i think if you can capitalize I think you would get a first round pick a third round pick and obviously the the not having 27 to 30 million dollars tied up into one player you know you get those two picks and then you could spend that money on like three to four starters for this team and honestly I think that would be a better 
use of, of resources than, you know, tagging Brian Burns going into next season with the tag or even just a large salary figure. Yeah, I certainly would like to bring him back, but it is going to cost, right? Because we didn't get a deal done last offseason. Uh, like you reportedly turned down the couple of deals that we had offered. And then, like you said, the tag um, hit on our cap this year would be around 24. And the, like if they don't extend him, that is like I remember we tagged Taylor Moten and then extended him. So his cap was, was lower that year. But um, yeah, it, it just seems like it's going for a breakup with Burns. And it is unfortunate because we will have lost uh, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, and Burns in back-to-back-to-back years um, if that were to pass. And that's three first-round picks in a row that you hit on and then send to other teams. And that's just not the right way to build a team. But I think it is coming to that point where if you can get something for him, certainly not to the extent of the Rams reported offer a couple of years ago or where it was uh, – two firsts and a second, I believe, at the deadline. I think you, you do have to get rid of them. And like you said, you can spend that money on other people, like maybe extending Derek Brown, and you can spend the picks that you get helping out this team, uh, particularly on offense, because I think we can all agree that's the focal point of improvement for the team, especially when you have a first overall pick QB that you want to see succeed in his uh, during his rookie contract, you know? Yeah, no, success for Bryce is kind of the the goal of the team at the moment. I liked what Dave Canales kind of said in some of these press conferences and going, hey, like, I don't have any emotional ties to the players on the roster currently, and we're going to evaluate not only this offseason, but offseasons moving forward of going, how can we improve at every position group? How how can we change things around to where we're a better team? And I love that approach. And uh, it's very interesting that the NFLPA uh, survey results came out today before we recorded. Uh, the Panthers, as a team, ranked 17th overall. Their ownership uh, towards the bottom. Go figure. It's David Tepper at 28. And so when when you start looking at some of these things, um, if, if Dave Canales can bring an energy to the building, if he can get Dave Tepper to invest more into the team and the team facilities, I think the morale around this team and getting the right guys in the building, this draft, this free agency is going to be huge for us moving into 2024. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, like in the write-up on the NFLPA report card in regards to ownership, the reason that Tepper was so low, or I guess the main reason, there's a lot of reasons uh, if you're a Panthers fan, but the main reason was that the players didn't feel like he was willing to invest in them, uh, particularly with the whole grass versus turf kind of thing. Um, we all know that uh, grass is safer, it's healthier. The players like playing on it better, but turf is a lot cheaper. And uh, so far, Tepper has shown that the bottom line, not the, like the single bottom line, not the triple bottom line is what matters. So hopefully if we start winning a bit more, he is willing to put more into it. But I'm not uh, too optimistic on that, given that the Chiefs owner uh, is in the same kind of boat. He doesn't spend a lot. Uh, to improve the facilities there and they've won back-to-back Super Bowls so that just kind of shows that hey maybe we don't need to put as much into it from an owner's perspective in order for teams to still be successful but I think that's a very odd or not odd but incorrect way of looking at it considering you know they have Mahomes but that's just that just might be in the back of Tepper's mind you know that's the thing you have the Chiefs ownership you have Robert Kraft in New England these like cheap owners and they lucked into two of the better quarterbacks over the past 25 years so it's it's one of those things where when you can build around the best quarterback in the league 
uh, it makes everything so much easier. So I, I think that's the difference there. Hopefully we can develop Rice, protect him to where he is our guy moving forward. And he's a guy that can go out and win games for us and, and kind of change uh, the sh- trajectory of this team. So speaking of that, we're, we're going to kind of jump into wide receivers of this class. Um, I wasn't a fan of us shipping out DJ Moore to Chicago last year. I thought Bryce needed guys to throw the ball to. And sure enough, we found that out the hard way this past year. And there's there's a lot of a lot of big name wide receivers. We obviously don't have a pick currently in the first round, so we aren't going to have our choice of kind of the top three guys in this draft. But that's that's where we're going to start. And the obvious obvious number one is Marvin Harrison Jr. Dude's an absolute stud. Uh, he he plays all over the field. He's dominant as kind of that X outside receiver. And there's just so much to say about him. And I, I want you guys to kind of take the floor and kind of bring the light what's what's on tape and what he does that kind of sets him apart from the rest. Uh, well, I know Dylan, both of us have him as number one, and as should any evaluator, I think he's a pretty clear uh, best player in a draft kind of candidate, especially in this class. He just does everything really, really well. Uh, big frame. He's He hasn't uh, measured in yet, but he is in Indianapolis to uh, report to the Combine. I'm guessing he's going to be around 6'4", like maybe 205, something like that. So huge frame, good muscle on his bones, uh, runs good routes, good body control, and has all the traits and production that you want to see. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing really to complain about with his, his game. His route running is exceptional, creates separation from corners easily. He is amazing with contested catches. He has some of the most phenomenal catches you will ever see from a college wide receiver. In my opinion, he's very easily uh, the best player, regardless of position in this class, obviously not factoring in positional value, but I kind of comp him to like a AJ green, but I think he's slightly faster than AJ green was coming out of Georgia. So I think, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player and I'm interested to see where he goes because I would like to based off of, kind of the top of the draft, see him go to a place like Arizona. Mm-hmm. But I'm very afraid that a team like New England that doesn't really have a plan at quarterback figured out is going to punt at quarterback and take a guy like him. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's definitely the fear with him. I love the fact that you bring in AJ Green as kind of a comp. I've seen a lot of things around Twitter where it's he has a size of like a Larry Fitzgerald, an AJ Green, but he's almost got like the speed of a Tyreek Hill. I wouldn't say the acceleration of Hill, but that, that speed, that long speed, he's hit over 20-plus miles per hour several times at the college level. And the next question I have for both of you is, when was the last time we saw a wide receiver prospect like Marvin Harrison? Because I concur with exactly what you just said, Dylan. I think in terms of prospects, when you're just ranking regardless of positional value, he's number one in this draft class. And it's been a while since we've seen kind of a wide receiver kind of dominate the the draft and so what what would you think would be a comparison is it like megatron back when he got drafted third overall like what's what's the comp from him from that standpoint i can't really speak to it since i'm i'm too young to kind of kind of be with that way but he's certainly since i've been like following the draft closely i would say he's the best receiver i've seen as a prospect second would probably be uh, a jamar chase i would say I, i think jamar chase was a phenomenal prospect enough to where he skipped his junior year was still the mm-hmm. what fifth overall pick so oh, yeah. i think i think 
even Jamar Chase was probably a step below what Marvin Harrison Jr. is. But I, I personally haven't seen a prospect like him. Yeah, I'm with you there. I would say it's Jamar Chase is in a similar uh, reign of his own as far as receivers in that class. And they had receivers like uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle in that class, who I believe they're a better receiver, or at least Waddle is a better prospect than Neighbors was. And uh, Chase was even or able to be a tier above those guys as well. Uh, and especially, like you mentioned, skipping his uh, last year of college. in, or I believe that was the COVID year, right? So he was able to sit out that year. Even with teammates like Justin Jefferson and uh, Terrace Marshall, who, for all his faults, was a good prospect and a good player in college. Um, but no, all that to say, I agree that uh, Harrison Jr. Is, is a step above even Chase. Like, going back to... AJ Green, or I've seen Dane Brugler and others compare him pretty heavily to Larry Fitzgerald, who was also taken, I think, uh, third or fourth overall by the Cardinals back in the day. So that's somewhere I'd like to see him go as well. Uh, I think he and Kyler Murray could hit it off really well. Kyler hasn't really had a main wide receiver one other than Hopkins, who they traded for, got some use out of, but he was suspended, right? Then they got in uh, Hollywood Brown, who dealt with his own injuries and stuff like that. And then when he was healthy, Kyler was injured. So they haven't really had any uh, like time together, or Kyler hasn't had a time together with a wide receiver one for an extended stretch, and that's something I'd like to see. But I'm afraid, like you guys are as well, that New England might take him because he is the best player in this class, right? And New England's not going to have a shot at Caleb Williams and Drake May. They're going to go one and two. Um, I'm pretty confident about that. So it, it's going to come down to what New England does with that third pick. Hopefully they trade out and let somebody else take a QB so he can fall to Arizona. That's that's the hope. And uh, you you kind of loosely mention it there, but the the next wide receiver that we have, and I think this is everybody's number two across the board here, it's Malik Neighbors. And people are going to be fascist. I'm not even going to attempt that word. People are going to try to comp him as the number one guy uh, of this class leading up to the draft season. It's not true. Marvin Harrison's that guy, but Malik Neighbors offers a lot of upside for a team. Uh, he's very fluid. He's explosive after the catch. And he, he shows signs of advanced technicality. I think he gets sloppy at some points, but he's he's really explosive. And I, I, I like what I see with him, especially after the catch, what draws your attention the most when you see a guy like him on the field and what he can bring at the next level? I think he's one of, if not the best separator in this draft class mm -hmm. with kind of how the NFL is trending. You see teams starting to value like more explosive receivers uh, with, with sort of, you know, route running skills over like possession, like big guys and neighbors is kind of exemplary of that. I kind of liken him to a guy like Brandon Ayuk, where he's just extremely explosive. Any given play could be like a 15, 20 yard gain. I think for him to be at his peak powers, he's going to have to land somewhere with like a, a quarterback that has a very strong arm, because I think the way he dominates is kind of over the middle of the field on those in-breaking routes, kind of like you see a Tyreek Hill do, but I'm not going to compare him to a Tyreek Hill because I don't really – I think if, I, I would hate to fall into that trap because every year there's there's one receiver that gets that comparison. I don't think there's any comparison for Tyreek Hill, which is why I think Brandon Ayuk is is kind of the, um, the guy to comp him to. But I, I think if there's anything uh, to tweak about Neighbors game – it's just the fact that when he's on straight 
go routes, he can have a little bit of trouble kind of hitting that last gear and getting a little bit past the corner uh, more so than, than you would want to see or more so than what he has been doing. Yeah, I, I like everything you said there. I like the IU comp as well. What I really like about Neighbors in addition to what you have said so far is that once he has the ball in his hands, he's a really good yak threat. Uh, he After he gets the ball, I think he can bring out that long speed and go for the end zone. Uh, he also has some good contact balance, so he's not going to go down from ankle tackles or anything like that. I kind of like uh, I like the IU comp before the catch, but I like DJ Moore as a guy similar after the catch. I think he can do a lot with the ball, uh, just fighting through tackles and getting past people and stuff like that. And you brought up a guy with a strong arm as being a good landing spot for him. We talked about pick number four, uh, Arizona being good for Harrison Jr. I think pick five with Justin Herbert would be perfect for Malik Neighbors. Uh, I think he and Quentin Johnston can mesh mesh really well, especially considering that Keenan Allen's getting getting older, and I think Mike Williams is going to be a cap casualty because uh, his cap number is like thirty mil or something. It's outrageous. So I think they're going to have to get rid of either him or Allen, and I think Neighbors could come in and fit seamlessly and be a starter there, especially after a rough rookie year from Quentin Johnston, they can have their alpha guy of the future there. I, I agree with everything you guys said. I have a question, though. Uh, Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, and Brian Thomas, a, a wide receiver we'll talk about shortly, all of these guys put up numbers that, that kind of didn't blow out of proportion, but they beat the records that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson were putting up from an offensive production standpoint. My question to you guys, uh, because we've seen LSU duo wide receivers kill it at the NFL level, will Neighbors and Thomas kind of be held in the same kind of breath that we talk about Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson? Or are they kind of a cut below from what you guys see and what you guys are projecting to the next level? For what it's worth, I think those are the two, two I guess, two of the five best receivers in the NFL. So it would be hard for both, you know, neighbors and thomas to get to that level i i will say i don't think Jaden daniels is going to get to um really even close to what joe burrow is i have some some really big concerns about his game especially after watching like brian thomas in particular just there there are some things about his game that really concerned me but with in terms of the receivers i think that i think neighbors is fully capable of eventually becoming a top five receiver whether that actually happens I think is going to depend on the landing spot and the quarterback that he's paired with Brian Thomas I'm slightly lower on I think he'll go in the first round I don't think he'll he'll get to that maybe he's a high-end wide receiver two very low-end wide receiver one yeah I'm with you there I think we need to be careful about expectations right I think Jefferson is the best receiver in the league and I think uh, Jamar Chase is up there in the top five as well um, I think we've been spoiled over the past couple of years with all these young receivers coming in and uh, instantly dominating. That's not something that like typically happens, but since Jefferson, Chase, uh, Devontae Smith, Waddle, all these guys kind of come in at Garrett Wilson the past couple of years, come in and dominate. I think it's uh, we can't expect everyone to do that. But that said, I think neighbors is talented enough to come in and have like a 800 to thousand yard season as rookie year. And then, to, to speak to your point on Brian Thomas, his game uh, in regards to what Jaden Daniels was able to do, he bailed Jaden Daniels out a lot with uh, some contested catches and stuff of that nature. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that at the NFL level where corners and DBs in general are going to 
match him with that kind of physicality. So I'm not as high on him hitting the ground running his rookie year, but I certainly think his ceiling is higher than everybody else's except for the top three guys. That's fair. No, I, I think that's a valid point. Uh, the the two guys that have come prior out of LSU, they're, they're top five at their position right now at the NFL. So definitely a, a huge mountain to climb in that regards. And that leads us into our number three wide receiver, uh, Rome, or Roma Dunze out of Washington. And I think a good comp for him, and I'm, I'm back and forth on kind of the comp that I would want to give him, but I feel like DeAndre Hopkins is a good one. Great hands, solid route running, bigger body guy. Um, I think one of the bigger concerns is the ability to separate. Um, and I think when you turn on the film, there's there's a couple plays he's not given it his all. And that can sometimes be a turnoff for NFL front offices. But overall, it's a solid guy. If I'm not going to comp him to DeAndre Hopkins, I would comp him to like Amari Cooper. Can sometimes disappear against a better competition. Um, but I, I'm obviously curious as to what you guys think for the consensus kind of number three wide receiver in this class. Yeah, so I, I honestly, the difference between neighbors and Adunze is very, very thin for me. I only prefer neighbors because I prefer the style of receiver that he is compared to Adunze in the modern NFL. But I legitimately think that, you know, you never want to draft for fit, but I think that a team could pick the better fit between those two. For for Adunze, I think the main concern for me is his release package at the line of scrimmage mm -hmm. is a little bit stiff. It's not very polished. But that said, I mean, his, his body control on contested catches, he's truly like a three-level threat. I think that his, his red zone ability is, is really just amazing. I, like, his all-around game is, is something that I think is better than almost any receiver in this class outside of maybe Marvin Harrison. He's extremely physical at the top of his breaks, and – I think his route running for his size is just downright amazing. So I, I liken him. A lot of people like this comparison for Marvin Harrison, but I think he's more of the Larry Fitzgerald type. Okay. I think that's a good comp. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I've gone back and forth on Odunze and Neighbors at uh, two and three, respectively. I just like separators more, uh, and that's why I currently have Neighbors ahead. But uh, – that's no shot to Odunze. He can run routes. He can do all that kind of stuff. He is a bit stiff off the line, and I think he can get jammed by corners that take advantage of that kind of stuff. But he has the complete package. He has the uh, – I'm not calling him Devontae Adams, but he has late hands like Devontae Adams does where like the ball will just be coming and coming, and you won't see him ready to catch it. And then his hands will just pop out, and he'll grab it with a defender draped on his back, and he'll reel it in for a big gain or a touchdown. We saw that in the Oregon game where he caught the game – not the uh, conference championship the first time, where he caught the game winner. It's just like – looks like he didn't even know the ball was coming, and then hands pop out at the very end, brings it in. Just an outstanding receiver. And uh, even though this class does have Marvin Harrison Jr., I think Neighbors and Odunze would go number one in a lot of classes, uh, especially the last couple – so don't want to take that away from them. But yeah, I wrote down on my uh, like my weaknesses point, not Marvin Harrison Jr. I wrote the same thing for neighbors because it's just unfortunate, but he is the complete package. And I think he'd fit in well with pretty much any offense. Like I think he could bail out guys who aren't as skilled, like maybe New York. I think he could fit with Daniel Jones bailing him out. Or if you send him to like uh, – May, let's say he lasted the Jets and Rodgers is fully healthy and ready to go. I think he'd fit in there, fit in there as well. 
Awesome. Um, I think I think that's a good breakdown of the top three. I think you're exactly right that if Odunze was in a different draft class, he'd probably be the wide receiver number one or wide receiver number two. Um, I think he's just in a loaded, loaded wide receiver class. And uh, that's that's nothing but props to everybody as a whole. And the next guy we have on this list is is Brian Thomas, the other counterpart to Malik Neighbors. Dylan may have other opinions, but we have him at number four. He had the most touchdown catches with 25-plus air yards with nine. The next closest receiver in the NCAA last year had six. And from a consensus standpoint, these are really the top four. After this, most prospects we're talking about may be available at pick 33 or may be available later in the draft when we're picking. So this is kind of that threshold where he's probably going to be a first-round pick. He'll be late teens, early 20s. What do you guys like about his game? What do you guys not like about his game? And who do you think would be a good fit for him uh, based on his skill set? Because I think he does lo- uh, offer a lot of upside, especially if we're talking about him as a guy that can go in the first round. To me, when I was watching Brian Thomas, he, it seemed like with, with Jaden Daniels in particular, it was it was like a fuck it, he down there somewhere type situation. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that obviously he's a high level like red zone guy like six four six five um i think he's got a great release package against press coverage in particular his ball tracking is phenomenal especially for his size i have questions about his ability in terms of shorter routes i think he's pretty inefficient uh against zone coverage as well he has a lot of trouble like finding the soft spot so if if you're gonna take a guy like that in the first round, it's it's probably going to be more like a secondary type of playmaker. I think he's he's also like shockingly not as physical as you would want from a guy that's his sort of size. And I, I think he's he's very clearly talented. I think that the best fit for him would be obviously Kansas City, but like who wouldn't want to go to Kansas <laughs> City if you're a receiver? So. I think a, a sneaky underrated spot for him would be the Colts, especially okay. if they let Michael Pittman walk in free agency. Yeah, uh, I kind of like Brian Thomas similar to Mike Williams. Uh, he's a home run hitter, in my opinion. Like you said, not great in the uh, short area. Uh, go sit in the zone stuff like that kind of stuff. That's more where Malik Neighbors and uh, Kyron Lacey, the third receiver, thrive this year. But uh, he can bring him in downfield and. I do think he can fight through contact at a high level, but just given his size, I think he can be more physical at like uh, batting hands down, stuff like that, getting through hand fighting. But uh, I think he would be a sneaky good fit on a lot of the teams in the 20s, like Houston maybe. Like they have Nico Collins, they have Tank Dell, but I think he could be an upside play there. Or maybe if he makes it down to Buffalo, something like that, I think they need a new receiver. Or uh, even Tampa Bay, like, they're going to be losing or we don't know if they'll be losing Mike Evans, but I have a good feeling that he's going to follow his guy, Dave Canales here to Carolina. So I think that'd be a good fit there as well. And then Dallas as well. Like you never know what's going to happen outside of CD lamb. And Jerry Jones has for some reason alluded to not paying him uh, in the, or not this past off season, but the one before not calling him a wide receiver one. And I believe he, uh, he didn't have a share of the triple crown, but I think he tied, Tyree kill for the most touchdowns this year. I think Steve is what it was. I think but, he um, in one of the three categories. Yeah. in yeah. one of the three categories, but yeah. So I think he'd be an excellent uh, high upside receiver to right out of the gate. So that's kind of why I mentioned that maybe like uh, 
the Rams as well with Cooper Cup getting older. Or uh, it seems like Cincinnati's keeping T. Higgins, but he'd be a really good T. Higgins replacement. They're a kind of similar player there. But I do think he offers a lot more burst uh, at the top of routes as well than T. Higgins. I think my, my biggest hesitation with, like, especially this this archetype of receivers is if I don't see, like, the polished route running, my mind immediately goes to Kelvin Benjamin. And that's, like, <laughs> no, no fault of, like, Brian Thomas. Like, that's that's an unfair criticism. But I just get really wary. And I think, like, the, the last, like, big receiver who had, like, a pretty polished route tree coming out of school was Drake London coming out of USC. He had a really yeah. nice route tree. I think he was very underrated. Um, especially because he didn't have the best measurables coming out that year. But I, I liken him to a Christian Watson where like the the route running is a developing ongoing process, but very clearly has downfield ball skills, very clearly is talented. I like Yeah, I think I like- uh uh real quick, I think if he participates in the combine and measures and tests and all that, I think people are gonna be really uh pleasantly surprised at his testing numbers. Um, I don't think he's quite as explosive as Christian Watson was, but I do think that Brian Thomas is a guy that his potential is pretty clearly above a lot of the rest of these guys, if he can achieve it. Yeah, no, I, I like, I personally like the Christian Watson comp. Uh, I would agree that he's probably not as fast, but in terms of just having that deep ball, that big play making ability, that's definitely him. And another guy that plays in the SEC that has big play potential will potentially be there at pick number 33 for Carolina guy that I would vouch for the next three guys that we're going to talk about. I, I would definitely want us to take at pick 33 if they're there. And we're going to start with Adonai Mitchell and Brett Coleman kind of got uh, a little flack for comping him the CD lamb. Jacob actually, when he was watching film comped him the CD lamb as well. So they both saw kind of the same thing. And I think the reason is, is they're, they're smooth route runners. Um, he plays at kind of this like one speed, and this isn't a knock on him. It's the fact that he doesn't really slow down it or tip off his routes. He's just very fluid in how he kind of approaches uh, his routes. He creates a lot of separation once the ball's in the air. I mean, when he can, the ball's up in the air, it feels like he, he almost creates separation between him and the cornerback, something that uh, Dylan pointed out Malik Neighbor struggled with. I, I thought that was something Adonai Mitchell um, did really, really well at Texas this past year. So that's a guy I would like at number 33. What are what are aspects of his game that like really get you guys excited and then some that kind of make you hesitate? Yeah, so it, it starts and ends with the route running. I, I think his ability to create separation, um, his understanding of space, his fluidity, the way that he moves just looks like an NFL receiver, you know? His his body control when he has to reel in tough catches is is really really good. Um, I think he has an elite frame, although he doesn't necessarily play to that frame. He's listed at like six four. I do not believe he is six four. I do not think that's <laughs> no. true. Not at all. In terms of like how he struggles, he doesn't really have like the most athleticism or like world beating speed like some other dudes in this draft class. I also have like some just some intangible stuff like like blocking right like giving giving effort when when you're running the ball as a team you you have to do that especially like if your running back does make it to the second level he didn't really do that at texas which is one of the things i i try to look for when evaluating receivers is how how are you helping your teammates when you know you're not getting the ball right 
he also had some some concentration drops and one big thing for me is he had a lot of body catches and didn't really catch the ball with his hands a lot it's with a guy that's able to create separation as well as he does it's not as much of a concern but it's still something that he's gonna have to get ironed out yeah i'm with you there uh i I think he does uh conversely i think he does play to his length even though it's not six four like you said i think it's more like six two five or something like that um and he's like 190 pounds maybe less but uh yeah I, i really like what he can do uh steve you talked about him being fluid and loose with his routes uh, for me, that's actually one of my uh, concerns is that routes like uh, curls or stick routes or stuff like that, where you have to be really precise and sharp on those, he's still kind of loose with them. Like you can see him coming out of his break pretty slow on things like that. And to me, that's something where you got to tighten up, especially with somebody uh, with this high potential for separate, like creating separation as him or as he is. Um, I do like the CD lamp comp. I think CD struggled with some of that coming out of college as well. Um, but yeah, he can just get open. And this is this has been the guy that uh, at pick 33, it's kind of been my draft crush for us there. Um, we need a number one receiver. We need a receiver that can separate. I mean, our best receiver was like 33-year-old Thielen who barely could separate. And then you would see the uh, separator scores um, on ESPN's wide receiver score for like uh, Terrace Marshall, Chark, Mingo. They're on like the bottom 10 of all the qualified receivers in the league. So that's super disappointing. So hopefully we can get a separator like Mitchell who did play in the SEC like you talked about uh, a couple minutes ago, Steve, at Georgia, won two national championships and then was in the college football playoff again this year. Uh, for Texas. So a lot of winning pedigree. He knows how to make plays like that. And uh, yeah, it's, he'd be a guy that I would love for the Panthers to get this offseason. Yeah. And we'll, go, I, we'll go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was actually going to go to your point, Dylan. I'm very curious about what you were talking about where you saw just some concentration drops because from one thing I was seeing, I, I didn't watch all his film, so I can't really testify to what I saw, but I, I saw that he only had one charted drop this past year. And so I, I thought his hands were actually pretty immaculate. Sorry, when I said concentration drops, I meant like not not actually dropping the ball. Oh, okay, uh, my, okay. My bad, my bad. It's more so like lapses in his concentration, yeah. not like not like dropping the ball, but like he would lose he would lose focus a lot of time. You know, if if the play was going to the other side of the field, if he had to uh, block somebody downfield, more so that I didn't mean to say drops. Okay, okay, yeah, no, that's why I was I was confused. I was like, I thought his hands were pretty pretty sure, but yeah, you're, you're right about the run game. And what was the kind of last point before we kind of move into wide receiver number six? Well, I, I was going to say that we went three for three on comparisons because I also had uh, C.D. Lamb, but more so like C.D. Lamb before the catch because I, I think C.D. Lamb's just so dynamic with the ball in his hands where, you know, Mitchell hasn't really shown that ability yet. Yeah, I think he needs to get a little bit stronger to uh, fulfill the whole the full C.D. Lamb comp because Lamb is like a sneaky, underrated, he can run people over after the catch kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing, Adonai Mitchell, he had the seventh highest average depth of target. He didn't get a lot of yak opportunity in terms of screens or other short passes. So it's kind of hard to gauge, but CD Lamb is just so great after the catch that comparing him to CD as a whole player probably isn't fair to Adonai Mitchell. I think he's going to be a great prospect and he's going to be good at the NFL. And a guy that also tore up SEC uh, defenses this past year was Lad McConkey with Georgia. And this guy, I mean, he's a technician. He's his change of direction 
and just route technician is just absurd. It's it's out of this world. And when you talk about separators and trying to add somebody on this team that can actually create windows and openings for Bryce Young to throw to, I think this is a guy at pick 33 that would also be great uh, in this offense. I, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. Um, what do you guys think would be a good comp for him? I've heard some interesting ones uh, through the Twitterverse and different videos I've watched, but curious to see what you what you see when you turn on the tape. Yeah, first thing is obviously the route running. Like he has a full, complete route tree. I think he's polished in just about every way that you could think of. the The big knock on him is going to be the measurables. He's not going to reach six feet. He might run a four six forty, which is going to scare a lot of people off and probably have teams take him off of their draft board. But just watching him play, the way that he creates space, it felt like every single corner that he played against this year struggled trying to keep up with him. And I see a lot of people saying that he's going to have to move inside. He's going to have to be a slot receiver. I don't really think that's the case. He played 75% of his snaps outside um, on the perimeter at Georgia. And I think he's going to be versatile in how he aligns in the NFL. He's just not the physical presence that most people associate with, you know, outside receiving targets. He's also like, like I said earlier, how I value blocking in receivers. He is like genuinely a good blocker, despite the size, despite not being a physical presence. He's a very good blocker. I, I like, I think that a good comp for him is this might like scare some people off, but I think that Stefan Diggs is a player that he reminds me of a lot maybe like with with the route technicality because Stefan Diggs for the longest time I think was the best route runner alongside Devontae Adams um, in the NFL and I think that McConkie probably won't get to that level of player but I think this is a guy who's going to be an NFL starter a high level starter potentially a pro bowler especially a pro bowler in like today's NFL where you've got like Gardner Minshew going but I, I think that that he's going to be a very very good player. The ceiling just isn't you know top ten wide receiver in the NFL, oh, yeah. but it is like he will probably be, in my opinion, a top thirty two guy. Like some team will have him as their best receiver. Yeah, uh, especially considering like we have people like Thielen uh, being our best receiver right now. But yeah, everything you said, I think I agree with. I think he's personally, I think he's the best route runner in the entire class, uh, just as a full three-level route package. Like, uh, I like what neighbors can do. I obviously like what uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. can do, but I think Lad's able to do it all across the field, both from the outside and inside uh, positions lining up. He is a uh, like a team player, like you're talking about. Uh, a lot of these Georgia guys and Alabama guys, like the, uh, the people with Saban's uh, coaching tree, they have their guys like be hard workers on the field. And you can see that translate with like McConkie. You'll see it with Bowers, uh, which we'll talk about next week, Steve. But um, the big thing with him for me is that uh, he has had some injury history, especially this past year. Uh, only had 29 receptions this season for two touchdowns, missing some time. Uh, he and Bowers, uh, to mention him again, both missed some time this year. But I do think he's the best route runner in the class. And I'm going a little old school with mine. I like the Diggs comp, uh, but I also see a little bit of Marvin Harrison senior in mind, the way he's able to work the middle of the field like that. Um, and I, I think he would fit in on any team, especially a team like the Panthers who need separators. 
like you said, he's not the biggest athlete. Like, I don't think he'll uh, burn anybody with long speed or make a contested catch uh, over, like, Fred Warner or anything, but he can get away from him, and he'll find the soft spot in the zone. I think he does that better than a lot of receivers in this class. He, he has and, a great success rate from a reception standpoint. I, I know, Dylan, you said his 40 time will probably cause him to drop, which is sad because the 40 time really isn't correlative with NFL success. I'd be more curious to see his 10-yard split, his shuttle in cone time, three cone times, uh, because I think that's where he's going to excel, and that's what makes him so special as a wide receiver. It's just the ability to just stop and go. And having a guy like that on the field for Bryce, especially with Thielen getting older, I think is is really important. Now, the next guy that we have on this list, a guy that I would actually be really excited to have at 33 if for some reason we do not want to draft or are not available to draft Donnie Mitchell or Ladd McConkey is Jalen Polk out of Washington. So we've talked about two duos so far. We talked about Neighbors and Thomas. Now we're talking about Adunze and Polk. And this was one of Steve Smith's, the two of the guys that he talked about in kind of this draft class as being a dog. And I think when you turn on the tape, this guy just like gets after it. Like he he makes contested catches. Uh, he He's not afraid to take big hits. And he's he's pretty exciting. Like this is a guy that I think could bring a lot of juice in the passing game. And I'm just curious, like, what you guys see with him, if this is a guy that you guys would be happy with at 33 with Bryce throwing the ball to this fall. Uh, I think this is where our lists deviate, Dylan. If uh, the one you sent me the other day is uh, your current list, I think uh, we were six for six so far, and now you have Coleman next and I have Polk next. So I think I'll go first here. Uh, you said he isn't afraid to take big hits. One of the things I wrote down is that he does get blasted a lot, um, but he will bring in the catch. So he's able to make tough catches, stuff like that. He has all the like the measurables you're looking for, like good size, uh, good hands. He's able to track the ball really well. I'm not a huge fan of Michael Penix's uh, velocity on deep throws. I think he leaves him hanging a bit. And Polk's one of the reasons that uh, a lot of those are able to connect because he tracks them well. Like I talked about, good contact balance, uh, surviving hits like that my uh my big things with him are i don't think he's as twitchy as uh i would like somebody to be like he's not like a mcconkey or a mitchell like at that level and i think he's only gonna be like an average speed kind of guy i don't think he's gonna run like a a 4-4 or anything i think like a 4-5 would be something that we can expect for him but otherwise i think he's a, a pretty complete receiver and he's gonna be a guy that can bring in the contested catches like you like uh steve smith were talking about yeah, so you mentioned my list. Uh, it's it's actually quite a bit different than than what it was when I sent it to you. So I have Harrison first, Neighbors, Adunze second, and it's here. The rest of the round one grades I have are Mitchell, Thomas, and McConkey, and Polk is one of one, two, three, four, five, six second round grades that I have. I think that he. Let me put it this way, Michael Penix probably led the NCAA in what Steve Smith likes to call blue tent balls. <laughs> and, yeah. I think that um, he, he could definitely take a hit, right? His, his top end speed is, is probably my biggest concern. He's not really going to be a burner. I like his frame 
Um, I think he's he's got good inside outside potential. Really, all three of the the Washington prospects have that versatility that you'd like to see. He's obviously great with contested catches, like you outlined, and I love his physicality and how he accelerates to attack DBs into breaks. I have kind of a, a mild comparison on him, kind of a, a boring NFL player. But one that I think makes sense in terms of a comparison, I have Romeo Dobbs compared to him. I think, you know, he's going to be a starting level receiver. It's just a matter of how how high is his potential, right? I think he's going to make an immediate impact at the NFL level, which is going to give him more appeal to a team like Carolina to to actually have somebody that can, you know, separate, who has some like, you know, short and intermediate juice. I just don't think he has like, you know, I don't think he's the deep threat that that you would want um, on the outside. But I think he's going to be a solid NFL receiver. I think like his median outcome is like a good, um, slightly above average, like like fifty fifth percentile starter. Okay, I I think that's a the fair comp. Uh, I think he's great with the deep ball tracking. Um, I think he's got solid hands. I think he would kind of be what we expected DJ Chark to be without kind of like the top end speed and just terms of being a dog on the outside. A guy that I think is in your second round kind of grouping. It's next on our list is Keon Coleman for me. And maybe this is, and and I'll I'll explain why I think he's a potential bust, but I I thought Quentin Johnson was a bust last year. I think Keon Coleman kind of, kind of, says it a little bit through the seams and it's just because I think a lot of people get enamored by just his big body, his ability after the catch, which are great things, things you need at the next level. Uh, Things that leave me hanging are just his ability to separate and just his uh, route tree. It's not super extensive in my opinion, from what I've seen. And I, I'm just curious. I'm because I'm left with a bad taste with six foot four wide receivers out of FSU with Kelvin Benjamin kind of being drafted with our team. I'm afraid that if we were to bring in Keon Coleman, uh, that's that's what we get. We almost have a deja vu, a, a Kelvin Benjamin 2.0. Is that what you you see, Dylan, or do you see somebody that's uh, got a, a much broader, much better game than Benjamin had coming out of FSU? I think they're very different receivers. Benjamin was, he, he wasn't very, I would say athletic. I think he had, had some athleticism, but not nearly as much as Coleman did. Coleman to me is like, you know, the ultimate, and I guess you could say this about Kellen Benjamin at the time too, like the ultimate contested catch receiver. He's got like an unreal frame, but the, the biggest thing for me is like, yes, the contested, the contested catches are good, but that's really all he was doing. So is he doing that because he can't separate or is he doing that just because he's really good at it? Yeah. And I think it may be more of more of the former where he really does struggle to separate because the route running isn't where you would want it to be for, for a guy like him. Like we talked about it, big guys can struggle to to separate from the corner, especially on intermediate routes. I don't really see him ever do that and it always does have to be a contested catch and it's not like the ACC has these you know all NCAA corners right like they have Nate Wiggins there's a few guys there but really there's there's not that much defensive talent especially in today's ACC where like a lot of the teams 
are not the same caliber that they were a few years ago. He has like elite athleticism, but he just doesn't get to that final gear when he's, you know, going down the field. I have him as the last second round grade for me, but I, I think that, you know, it's it's hard after a certain point to pass on the traits, the contested catchability, the raw uh, athleticism that he has. But he he gives me like Alan Lazard vibes where he's going to be a, an outside receiver. He'll get you like two or three uh, catches a game. Like maybe maybe he learns to master the comeback route uh, kind of like Lazard has. But I don't think he is re- like he, he has to really improve as a route runner to be anything more than that. And it's worth it because if he does manage to do that, he will be a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. But the likelihood that he does is what knocks him down to like the late second round for me. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, a comp that I kind of had was Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, I do think Keon Coma could play uh, from the inside as well. But if you look at all his routes, they're seams and go routes like you're talking about. And yeah, he is a master at contested catches. I don't want to take that away from him. Huge frame, super strong, and he bullied all the uh, the non-all NCAA ACC DBs like you alluded to. But uh, that's that's what he does. He makes the contested catches. I was writing here in my notes, uh, uh, great body control and strong hands allows him to make some crazy contested catches basically every single one of his touchdown catches this season. So he doesn't separate at a high level. And it's even more concerning to me where and I'm not going to comp him to Kelvin Benjamin because I agree that they're different players, but FSU had him back there as a punt returner uh, for a lot of the season this year. And I, I just didn't understand why he didn't like break away from anybody unless he had a big lane to go like to run. I don't think he has that extra gear or like I call it long speed. I don't uh, think he has that high level of it. And that's hard to gain because like you have to either shed weight, which gets rid of the contested catchability or just work with a speed coach for 10 years and slowly chip away at your speed or slowly get faster. And that's a hard thing to do. So I'm with you. I don't think his uh, median outcome is one where he can come into the league and tear it up. He has to really, really, really work at it and hit that high percentile outcome. And I just don't see it, but I do think he can be a good, receiver three for a team or like a good red zone threat uh, receiver for a team. Like uh, let me look at the pick chart real quick. I don't think he would go in the first round or at least I don't expect him to. Although I did see Natalie Miller who uh, she writes for, I think it's draft wire and uh, she's pretty tuned into the Panthers. She gets some things right. Um, she said that the Panthers are, she heard that they're big on Xavier Leggett and Coleman, Keon Coleman today, which hopefully she didn't get that one right. Cause that would break oh, my heart if either of them were pick 33. But, um, yeah, this is just this seems like another – and I know Scott Fitterer is out of the building, and I don't want to say that the Panthers are the only team interested in him, but buying high on a guy like Keon Coleman to me is buying high on, like, the Raw's Warrior type of prospects. Like, you believe in the traits over the tape, and that's just something I can't really get behind. And that's why, to me, I also have him as day two. Um, falling out of that day one range where he started the year so strong. Um, if you look at those first couple of games like LSU, um, which was, I believe, the week zero game, and then they had another early game where he looked really, really good. The, he was eating and the whole team was eating. But as the years or not as the year, as the games went on and the more people who cut on and watched, they could see that he was more of a one trick pony or a couple of trick pony 
where he gets the contested catches in. As far as him and the other FSU receiver, Johnny Wilson, who uh, we'll probably talk about him next week because I think he should convert to tight end. Um, they're kind of both like that. They don't use their athleticism to their advantage and stuff like that. And all this to say, it's just a no for me at 33. And yeah. Yeah. No, I think being a no at 33, like when we got to Polk, for me, it's like if none of those guys are available at 33, trade back or you got to take an offensive lineman there. Um, I don't think wide receiver is the answer because this is a deep class. Uh, some of the guys that we're going to talk about next, and uh, we'll, we'll round out your top 10, talk about a few other guys that, that would be great in the third, the fourth, the fifth round, depending on how things go if we trade back. And the, the next guy up is Jacob Cohing. And consensus board has him at about like 21. So this is a guy that we might actually be able to grab in the fourth, fifth round. Uh, but this is somebody, Jacob, when you turned on the tape, and, and I agree with you. I, I think he's really shifty. He's agile. Um, I think the the big knock on him of why he, he would probably be dropping is he's a, a little smaller. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of production at Arizona this past year. So some of those things, it's like, I, I understand when you look at the tape, he creates a lot of separation, something Keon Coleman doesn't do. do and that's something in Carolina that we need. Uh, when you, you look at all the separation charts from Next Gen Stats last year, that – Nobody was getting open for Bryce, but when people were open, when Bryce had a pocket, Bryce was balling out and and the numbers prove that as well. So bringing guys in the building that create separation, this is a guy that I think the Panthers need to kind of keep on their radar. Um, Dylan, have you seen anything from uh, Cohen out of Arizona? Uh, is this a guy that you'd be interested in some of the later rounds? Uh, and if so, uh, what, what kind of intrigues you the most about him? Yeah, it, like I, I like to use this term when looking at NBA players more so than NFL players, but he's kind of a bucket getter whenever you need it on like, like you know, third and third and short, you, you could throw it to him. He'll find the, the, the soft spot in the zone and he'll fall down immediately, but he will get the first <laughs> down. He, he kind of reminds me of uh, a few years ago, like 2019 or whatever it was when the Panthers had Jarius Wright for, for a few seasons, like, Every once in a while, he'd catch like a, a clutch third down. It would be like third and eight. Mm -hmm. He'd get just over the first down line and then fall down immediately or like run out of bounds <laughs> or something. That's kind of like what it is with 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 Cowing. He's got just unreal situational awareness. It like he could be looking one way towards the quarterback and still know exactly where the first down line is. Uh, he also like like I said earlier, if if you give effort blocking, you're gonna get more points from me, and he does that. Obviously, the size isn't what you would want it to be, but he would predominantly predominantly be a slot receiver. And sometimes he does drop the ball a little bit. Um, but I, I think that if, if you're drafting a receiver in like the third, fourth round, um, I have him as a third round grade for me. I think he's like wide receiver, I want to say 15 or 16. If, if you're drafting a guy in the third round or later, you want a guy that can play a role that you know is going to be able to get snaps in a specific role. And um, I think that he could do that from the slot. I think that he would be an eventual starter, maybe not like immediately, but could eventually become like a, a crucial uh, facet of the offense and somebody that gets a lot of snaps eventually. Uh, what did you call Jarius Wright back in the day, Steve, when he was on the team? What was your nickname for him? Uh, you, you're probably going to get me on this one. I'm actually blanking yeah, on it. it. It's the chain mover. 
Oh, that's right. Yep, there we go. <laughs> that is what uh, Jacob Cohen does. Uh, aside from him having the same name as me, which is always a plus, um, I I don't want to comp him to Tank Dell because now every five eight five seven receiver that's 160 pounds is going to get that comp. But I think he can separate pretty well, uh, short and intermediate, just via his route running. And I think he does play uh, at a very high speed. I think he can be a downfield threat as well. Obviously, the size, right, is the big thing. Um, smaller frame, shorter frame uh, as well. But looking at games like Arizona State, USC, Oklahoma, uh, I also did UCLA and Washington. But those were the ones that stood out where he could make the plays down the field when the team needed it. Uh, I said electric receiver, good t- uh, twitch as well, good body control despite that small size. And he does know how to get down as well. He was a little banged up this year and, I, I do think the big thing, like the big turnoff for players like this is the size. But I, I think over the past couple years, and I'm not comparing him to these players by any means because Addison was my receiver one last year. Devontae Smith was a Heisman winner uh, a couple years ago. And Takedale had an outstanding rookie season. But I think the early success and returns of players that are of slighter frame like them is going to prove like a, a good thing for people like Coeng who – are on the slider side as well. Uh, like I said, I don't want to put expectations on him and compare him to those guys because they were very outstanding rookies, but I can see similar upside based on his twitch burst and just ability to get open. And like I said at the top of the pod, number one thing for me is separation receivers, and he can do it. Yeah, no, I, I want to go back to that because consensus obviously has him lower for, I think, a lot of the reasons uh, Dylan and I brought up. But like you said, he can get open and that is a valuable trait at the next level, shouldn't be diminished. And why he was the biggest riser on your board compared to consensus, the biggest faller is guy number 10 here at Troy Franklin out of Oregon. Steve Smith, I think, had a good comp for him. He said he was kind of like Jordan Addison. I'd say he's like a Jordan Addison light. Um, I know I used like Walmart edition in last week's episode. That's that's kind of what I would feel like with Troy Franklin. I think, and I'm, I'm stealing this from Jacob, but he's, he's not the best at catching the ball away from his body, which is a concern. That was a big concern for me with Quentin Johnston last year. And I, I'm just curious what you guys think about him out of Oregon. If you think he's actually a guy that will go in the first round, he's currently on the consensus board. He ranks number six out of all the wide receivers. Is this a guy that he lands in Buffalo, Kansas city, or is he going to be a guy that drops because there are other issues in his game that aren't necessarily as prevalent because he plays in a high powered offense in Oregon. So I, I think my prediction with this draft is after the the top three, you might see teams wait to take a receiver like a, like a Brian Thomas, like a A.D. Mitchell, like a Troy Franklin. And not because those guys aren't talented, but more so because with the depth in this class, teams know that they can wait to take a receiver until the second, third round and get a guy who's going to make an impact, Right. But with, with Troy Franklin in particular, I think he's talented after the catch. If you look at like the the Bonix like air yards per pass attempt, it's like kind of crazy how a lot of his stuff was like you know screen slants, um, very short yardage throws. I think he's a, a polished route runner. I think he can move around an offense, whether it be in the slot, whether it be on the outside. 
he, his deep ball uh, skill, I think, is elite. I think he gets past corners. But he struggles to bring in those contested catches that you would want to see from those deep ball receivers. And he's got a light frame, right? He's not a physical guy. So I think the comps are all over the place. I think Brett Coleman said he was MVS. I think uh, a <laughs> guy that we're going to talk about later is MVS. I think he's more of like a, a, a Marvin Jones light. Yeah, I, I'm more in that vein than the uh, the Jordan Addison vein there. I, quite frankly, I think that's disrespectful to Jordan Addison. That, uh, <laughs> Smith comp him there. Steve Smith likes a lot of receivers, so I'm not going to take it away from uh, but uh, and I like he the actually he actually one. liked um he number fifteen on Oregon more than he liked Troy Franklin when I was um, watching the breakdown. Tez Johnson, so he did he yeah. he liked Tez Johnson more than Troy Franklin. He just when he was watching Troy Franklin, the guy that like popped in his head was a Jordan Addison. He wasn't saying he was uh, better I than Jordan Addison. It was more just he reminded him of his game. Yeah, I, I can see like Walmart Jordan Addison, uh, like you're saying. Um, I like the other Brett Coleman picture that he posted where. Somebody said, oh, MVS is too harsh on him. He's like, okay. And he posted like a snake because he doesn't have any arms. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of like that one. I, I don't think he can't catch with his hands. But like uh, Dylan was saying, some of those longer passes, which were like that was one option in the Oregon offense. The other was like screens. On those longer catches, like he can – he'll like contact the ball with his hands, but he has to bring it into his body to finish the catch. Like he can't strictly – catch with his hands uh so to speak and that's a big thing for me like you were talking about with quentin johnston that was his uh his one big vice last year or yeah last year around this time i i think he can he is speedy he can get open and all that kind of stuff but to me if you can't like secure the catch that's a big thing for me and uh the effort thing as well um i don't think he's like the downfield blocker kind of thing that dylan likes that we all like and that that's big for coaches as well um it's something that's kind of underrated when you look at like receivers and tight ends and then when you look at running backs like their pass pro stuff like that that's what i always uh mark down that kind of stuff because coaches like that kind of stuff that's like that helps you get on the field helps you play special teams if you're not currently contributing to the offense or defense i don't think he's big in that department either and i do think he's a product of the scheme um i'm big or i'm big of the belief that oregon's scheme was a big reason of their or to their offensive success this season. And I think he, uh, in part, is a product of that because it's mainly the uh, screen, play action, deep shots. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a fair evaluation of kind of the prospect that's coming out of Oregon. We've wrapped up the top 10. We're about at the hour mark. So we're on the back nine, so to speak. And what I want to hear from you guys, and I want you guys to kind of kick this off. There's obviously several other prospects that could be available in later rounds. Uh, there could be a Xavier Leggett, a Ricky Purcell, Malachi Corley, heck, even a Brendan Rice. I'm curious who you guys think would be a good fit in Carolina that's going to be a, a later round guy and, and what you like about him and what he could bring that, that would add a layer to this offense and, and really kind of boost what Dave Canales and Bryce Young are going to need this fall. I'll, I'll get this one started. And I, I have no idea like when he'll be taken, but I just want to pose this question to you guys before I talk about him and why I think he would be an amazing fit is what types of receivers at, do you think would succeed most next to a guy like Bryce Young? 
uh, intermediate open getters, in my opinion, or getter get open people, kind of like that. I, I like uh, I, as much as Jermaine Burton succeeded more this season than he did uh, two years ago, and I think a lot of that is in part to Bill O'Brien. I think a Jermaine Burton type of receiver is something that Bryce Young needs. I, I, I like I like that, Jacob. For me, it's Bryce Young, I think, has the ability to play like a Drew Brees. I know a lot of people say he can't throw over the middle, but he needs he needs guys like a, a Marquise Colston, a, a Michael Thomas, a Jimmy Gray, somebody that can just like make catches across the middle, still line up outside, just create mismatches on the defense and allow you to have kind of that safety valve in the offense. So I, I, I could see a Ricky Purcell later in the draft. I don't know where you're going with this, Dylan, but that's that that's kind of what I would think would kind of help this offense. Yeah, so I, I think I think for me the answer is I would want to get Bryce Young players who are special after the catch because I mm-hmm. think, uh, in, in my opinion, everybody wants to search or everybody wants to look at like, Oh, what's, what's this quarterback's quote unquote superpower, right? Like yep. Joe Burrow is like amazing in the pocket Mahomes and Allen with their arm talent, whatever. Right. I think if you had to define that for Bryce, I would say it's his ability to lead receivers into open space. Okay. I think that is what I would say. Right. And to, to go off of that, I have this receiver as my, sixth receiver on my board i know consensus is a lot lower on him probably like third ish round but it's malachi corley out of western kentucky he's a dog he is a dog and i've seen a lot of people like talking about him after like the steve smith uh interview with him but he he's a when you hear him talk and you hear what Dan Morgan wants on a team like the Panthers. He fits that bill, right? Like he is a dog. The, the way he, you know, goes about attacking defenders with the ball in his hands. I think the comparison that's going to get thrown upon him is Debo Samuel, just because that's what every short-ish receiver that can move with the ball in their hands gets that comp. But I, I think he's a sneaky, good, deep threat as well. Like his long speed is very underrated because a lot of what he was doing was kind of the short um, intermediate or not short intermediate, but like short screens, um, slants, just anywhere that they could get the ball in his hands. He's a quick learner. So coming into college, he was a defensive back, made the transition to running back and recently made the change to receiver. So he hasn't been playing receiver long. He is going to have to beat the gadget player allegations because anytime you have a player who's manufactured touches, it that's you know that's just the build that's going to come with him. But when you watch what Malachi Corley did with the ball in his hands, and you watch, and I know it's not the most fair setting for corners, but when you watch the one-on-one reps at the Senior Bowl, you saw a lot of what he didn't get the opportunity to do at Western Kentucky which was, you know, the ability to separate against corners on those short routes, on on slants, on ins, on fades. He showed it a lot at the Senior Bowl. I don't think he lost – he might have lost one one-on-one rep from what I saw, but every other one he dominated. And I know it's, like, unfair to, you know, place place expectations on corners in a setting like that, but still, he looked really, really good. He's extremely physical at the top of breaks – uh, would straight up like knock corners down um, yeah. at, at like that five yard cutoff. I think 
if if you want a player who, you know, the Panthers lack um, explosive plays. I don't know like what the metrics are, but I would bet money that we're like last or second to last to like the Steelers or something in explosive play rate <laughs> this past year. I think that if you want to go about changing that, you need to add players like this who are special after the catch that, you know, Bryce Young doesn't have all of the arm strength in the world, but if you get guys that accelerate after the catch that Bryce Young can lead into open space that have that dog mentality, I think that's like the perfect fit for Carolina. And I have no idea if they would take him at 33, probably not, but um, that's probably who I would take at 33. Yeah, Corley's the guy that we talked about. Um, had to have been like November, or December back on the pod, Steve, when we looked yeah. over. I don't even, I don't even remember what the prompt was, but it was just something we talked about, like receiver prospects or something. And uh, I agree with everything you're saying there. And you want to talk about after the catch? I don't think he's like the fastest uh, guy or like the speediest yak threat, but he is a yak threat in the thre- or in the uh, vein that he'll run over DBs. Uh, I highlighted the Louisiana Tech game, and you mentioned where he would just punch DBs and knock them over at, at the top of breaks. That's exactly what he did multiple times in that game. And then once he gets the ball on, and a lot of them were gadget plays, to your point, like screens and stuff like that, you can see the uh, the former running back in him uh, eluding tacklers, running over tacklers, and running down the sideline for touchdowns. Even when they played Ohio State, and granted, Ohio State dominated them because it's Ohio State versus Western Kentucky, there were flashes of him. Uh, like, he wouldn't get the ball a ton because, obviously, the O-line's getting overrun and stuff like that. But he would get open when given the chance. And then on the small chances he did get the ball, he would hit the first uh, defender and keep going, or he'd get past the first defender. So there is a, a level of competition where you can see him doing it uh, against better competition, so to speak. I have him as, like, late day two, early day three, just because uh, – I do need to see more of the route stuff like you're talking about. And I, I am going to agree with you there that the senior bowl isn't the best uh, light to show receiver talent one-on-one against DBs, because I, I agree that it's kind of unfair for the DB in those reps. I don't expect the DBs to win any reps for that matter, because like they just have to react to the route that the receiver and QB already know across the entire field. But um, I, I do see the potential there with Corley and, Dan Morgan says we need dogs, and he is the perfect perfect example of a dog like you're talking about. Um, when you pose the question about what kind of receiver do you think the Panthers and Bryce Young need, I brought up Jermaine Burton, who was his teammate uh, at Alabama a couple years ago. He was there this past year. And I brought him up because what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch, I think, uh, is impressive from a like getting away from the defender standpoint. And a guy that I think is like that is Jamari Thrash from Louisville. Now, if you look at this past season, um, and it's odd to say because Louisville was really good this season. Uh, He didn't have as much effort uh, after the catch this season or like blocking downfield, but he was also super, super banged up. If you watch him from a couple years ago or, or two years ago, excuse me, his route running and speed after the catch is killer. Like I marked down NC State from uh, two years ago, he was the difference maker in that or in that game. Super good, one of the best cutters in the draft. And uh, like I said, I value separation and speed. He has that at the highest level, and with the ball in his hands after the catch, he just gets away from people with speed and twitch. And that's something that I think we need because, like you said, our explosive play rate is in the gutter. And then even when we get the chance to do it, like the last game of the year, DJ Shark, uh, you fumble at the one yard line, and that's not something that Thrash is going to do. 
I, I like both of those. Um, I'll start with the Corley. Um, he's ranked 17th on consensus boards, so he's probably going to be there day two, maybe even day three. Um, I think his stock is going to just continue the rise, though, because he is a dog. Um, Steve Smith only used that word for two wide receivers in this draft class, and it was Jalen Polk out of Washington and Malachi Corley. And Malachi Corley is is him. Like, I mean, this guy is legit. Uh, I would love him on this team. I think he would bring a dog mentality that's much needed in this locker room and and on the field and making explosive plays. I mean, last year, Bryce Young uh, ranked dead last in the NFL in explosive play rate, which is 20-plus yard gains, and he was under 4%, and nobody else was under 4%. So seeing a bump in that is huge, uh, whether that be him or Thrash, um that those are those are guys that i think when we talk about prospects that are later in the draft if we don't get a guy at 33 that we gotta grab and another guy i'm gonna throw out there and this is a guy that i think will be a day three pick is brendan rice and i love the comp i heard about him he he runs his routes angry um isaiah pacheco style and i just love that i i love just the attitude just the the aggressiveness um, he was, I believe, tied for second in terms of um, touchdowns with 20 plus five yard gains. I know I brought that stat up for Brian Thomas earlier, but he had, I believe, uh, five or six touchdowns uh, with 25 plus air yards. So just a uh, good deep ball threat. I, I, I felt like he he brought a lot of intensity. And that's somebody that with a, a, a bad wide receiver room that would add a little bit of juice that could infuse a little bit more explosiveness into this offense, which I think is huge moving forward. And if if we don't get a guy in the draft, um, one of these guys that we've talked about, because there were a lot of guys we skimmed over. Uh, I know a lot of guy people here are excited about Xavier Leggett. I think Ricky Purcell should, should be a guy mentioned. Um, we didn't talk about like a, a, a Malik Washington or Javon Baker, who are some people's kind of draft darlings, so to speak. Um, but what are what are free agents that you guys think would be great plug in plays? I know a lot of people connect to Mike Evans because, well, he 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 kind of played underneath um, Dave Canales and and Brad Idzik um, that are now in Carolina. We could bring in a guy like Hollywood Brown. Uh, Jawan Jennings was tearing it up in the Super Bowl. We could even have a reunion with Curtis Samuel. Who are who are guys that you think would be good from a cap standpoint signing that it wouldn't cripple us? and would would infuse some juice because that is i think the theme of this podcast has been okay let's bring in guys that can create separation uh if they aren't big separators can they create explosiveness in terms of yak uh after the catch uh who are those guys in free agency that you really think could help us kind of move it forward yeah so when I look at like how you go about building this receiver room. Personally, I think they should take multiple shots in the draft, pick 33, a later pick, whenever they need to walk away with multiple guys from the draft alone. Yeah. Before they get to that point, a large part of Dave Canales's offense in Tampa was kind of designed on the aspect of we're going to have tight ends block. We're going to have seven blockers. Uh, we're going to run a play action boot. And then Mike Evans is going to run a comeback route. And Mike Evans would usually be pretty open because he's Mike Evans. But I don't think the Panthers are going to go into the offseason looking to pay Mike Evans, right? But a guy that I kind of like in that particular role, 
just assuming that they're going to add juice through the draft, which they better, I think is is uh, Mike Williams because a oh. he he hasn't been able to to stay healthy. He's going to be cut by the Chargers. I think that you know he's going to be an outside receiver that can catch you know five six balls a game. Would easily have been the best outside receiver that the Panthers had last year. I think that he's still an average starter probably, and is only going to be leaving San Diego or sorry. Los Angeles because of the massive cap hit that is associated with him. So with that signing, it's probably going to be what, like 15 ish million dollars a year. Right. I think since uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the CBA says that that contract would not affect the compensatory picks, um, the compensatory pick formula because he was cut. Am I right? Yes. Yes, if he is cut by the the Chargers, it would not count in terms of the compensatory. Um, if we pick him up, I know there are certain timelines we would be responsible for some of his cap hit, but I think that's when like he hits waivers. So if he clears waivers, we should be good to sign him to like a ten million, fifteen million dollar annual average value in terms of like uh, his contract. So I don't know if that would look like a 20 over two, uh, a, a 15 over one. Um, that, I think that's how it would look in terms of him being cut. Yeah. Yeah. So I like him as like a buy low outside receiver that you can get, you know, two years of production from, but obviously that's, it has to be said with the notion of them adding juice elsewhere. I don't care how they get it. It could be like Hollywood Brown. It could be a Malachi Corley. It could be a Xavier Leggett. They have to add speed and explosiveness. If they don't do that, then then Mike Williams is like kind of a moot point. But the way that Canales' offense was designed in Tampa was revolved around that type of receiver and that comeback route. I saw it so many times against us, against other teams. You turn on Tampa, their offense was playing. You saw it like two to three times per drive. I think that they're, they're going to have to find that role if they want to run that specific offense. And I know that uh, Canales said at the combine, I don't know if it was his actual press conference, but he was talking to some reporter and um, he mentioned that there were going to be a lot more like, you know, play action. They were going to drop a lot more blockers. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the concepts that they want to run, which if that's the case, I think Mike Williams is going to be a nice fit for that and a decent, you know, cost controlled uh, contract as well. Yeah, I really like the Mike Williams thing. I I think we've all been speculating that he's going to be cut like the past couple of weeks. I think I brought it up earlier in the pod as well, just because that cap number is outrageous. Um, what, uh, what Tom Telesco did to the Chargers is crazy. I don't know how he lasted that long, but... <laughs> Obviously, or the fact me, that he got another job, like that's crazy. Well, yeah, he got hired yeah, by the uh, Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders turned around and picked him up pretty quickly. Yeah, he must have dirt somewhere in the league. Who knows? But obviously, I think Evans and uh, Calvin Ridley would be the big fish. Uh, like they're the big names, and Pittman as well. Um, but I kind of like some more cost-controlled options, like Josh Reynolds and Kendrick Bourne. Obviously, Bourne ended the year with, uh, I believe, it was an ACL. So he uh, did get hurt halfway throughout the year. But both of these guys know how to play uh, outside and inside and just get open and sit in zones and run like shorter routes. And I think that's an underrated skill that uh, a lot of the Panthers receivers don't even have. Like obviously Thielen's able to do it, but Mingo is still out there struggling, trying to find his role. 
Uh, Chark, just for whatever reason, just can't separate despite his speed. And then even if he does separate, he can't drop or he can't catch uh, like three consecutive passes dropped in his hands looking at the Jaguars game. But uh, I, I think uh, despite Panthers fans wanting big name free agents, I think they're going to go more on the cheaper end like that. And Reynolds has been productive both for the Rams and Detroit. And uh, I don't want to take anything away from McVay and uh, Ben Johnson because obviously they're really good play callers. But I think Canales, with his wide receiver background, knows how to get the most uh, out of receivers and use them in the right way. I think uh, some cheaper op- cheaper options in Reynolds and Bourne would fit the team well, like as uh, the wide receiver three or something going into the year because I'm with you guys. I think they need to take multiple shots at wide receiver in the draft this year because – as far as I'm concerned, I do think, uh, and I think you had mentioned this a couple months ago, Dylan, to me on Twitter, that the entire draft should be offense focused, or at least the vast majority of it, because the defense uh, was okay last year, but the offense was horrible. And if we're going to invest so much into a number one overall pick at QB, we need to invest a ton in the offense to see him succeed. I, I agree with all of the points that you said. I think some of the free agents that not only Dylan but Jacob brought up uh, would be a great fit here in Carolina. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in another name. Uh, he he made his name in kind of the Super Bowl, and um, it's Jawan Jennings from San Francisco. San Francisco, I don't think is gonna be able to retain him. I don't think I don't think he's gonna get signed to like a massive contract. And the reason why I love him is Dylan kind of brought this up about Adonai Mitchell. Uh, just like concentration laps and and not blocking downfield. Jawan Jennings in practice has been known to just block guys like out of bounds into the whistle. And it pisses like defensive players off. Like, yo, like what do you have a problem? It's just like he's wired a certain way to where he just plays 100% every single snap. And have a guy like that in the wide receiver room, I think would be huge, especially if we we drafted an Adonai Mitchell and then we were able to get, and and I know I talked about him, but a, a, a Brendan Rice, or maybe we get a Ricky Purcell or, or somebody else in the late round where it's like, okay, maybe we can kind of develop them. And you start building a room and they're competitive because you, you have the right chemistry, you have the right people in the room. Maybe Mingo starts to kind of flourish in a, a more diminished role and he doesn't have to play 90 plus percent of the snaps and, and you get to see more of him. So that's what I would be excited to see. I don't think we need to make a big splash in that standpoint. Um, I think we need to retain our defensive players with a Frankie Louvu, a Derek Brown, um, kind of restock and make sure that if we have injuries on the interior offensive line that we have guys are able to be plug in and play. And it's it's not the disaster that Chandler Savala and some of the other guys were when they filled in for uh, Corbett and Christensen who went down. So I, if, if that's the priority, I think this this franchise has the ability to kind of turn it around. And and with that, I think we're we're heading in the perfect takes and, and kind of our segue from this wide receiver prospect and free agent class breakdown and going what we see for the Panthers. And Jacob, I think you have a good one to kind of kick us off with. And Dylan, if you want to kind of follow him up, I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up as a kind of caboose. But what what kind of you see from what we talked about today and how that relates to your take from today? Yeah, uh, the other takes that we had since the draft started have been more like draft related, like how many prospects go where. I'm going to kind of cheat today. Um, I'm going to say that the Panthers will end up with three or more of the players we talked about today. Um, I don't think it's any secret that 
our wide receiver room is one of, if not the worst in the league. I guess you could throw the Patriots in there as well. Um, there are no dogs on the team. Uh, and I say that with the utmost respect to Adam Thielen. He's a little past his prime as a dog. Uh, we need juice, like Dylan said. We need dogs, like Dan Morgan said. We need uh, early and late round guys, like Steve, you're alluding to, with uh, Jerry Rice's son, uh, Brendan Rice, or Ricky Pearsall, or even like a Jamari Thrasher, Corley. And we need free agents, too. We don't. We can't just grab young guys in the draft. We need vets who have done it before. I think Jawan Jennings was an excellent uh, person to bring up because he played at the highest level, and I do think he will be available relatively cheaply. But I'm going to say three or more of the people that we highlighted today, there are a bunch more uh, receivers on the list here that we didn't end up talking about because we'd be here for like four hours. But three or more of the people that we talked about today will end up on the team uh, in 2024. I think with with a lot of everybody wanting to trade into the first round, um, whether it be like a Brian Burns trade or whether we're moving assets to move up to select a receiver, I think it's actually going to be the opposite. So, so my perfect take would be that the Panthers trade back, collect like an extra third round pick, and with the pick that they um, traded back to, that is when they would select a receiver. Just okay. the depth in this class is unreal. You don't have to, unless a guy like, you know, a Brian Thomas falls or like there's a, a Laramie Tunsil situation with like Roma Dunze or something. I think, you know, unless somebody like glaring falls, I think that you can move back, you can find multiple impact guys and be very happy about that. Okay. I, I, I like both. I think both the takes so far are like, they aren't a, like a mutually exclusive. You can end up with three or more guys that we're talking about on the list and you can still trade back and get a couple guys and, and accumulate more draft capital. And I think that's a great way to go about it. Like, I think one thing, um, this was something that the, the roar, the podcast with John Ellis and um, I, why am I blanking out? Billy on the, Marshall. Uh, there we go. Billy Marshall. There we go. It was escaping my tongue there for a second. But those guys, um, they broke down and it said, hey, our trade up for Bryce, we sacrificed a lot. Like we don't have a lot of capital moving forward. That's what we're realizing this offseason. Um, and if we're able to kind of get Burns off our hands, then I think that frees us up from a cap standpoint to, to lock Brown and Luvu up in the long term. And, and my take to kind of wrap this up, and it, it goes against kind of the wide receiver grain, but it goes back to kind of that franchise building is I don't think Burns – is going to be in a Panthers jersey this fall. And it sucks because I haven't bought a, a Panthers jersey since Steve Smith. And the first one I bought since him was Brian Burns zero because I thought with us trading DJ Moore last offseason that he would be locked up uh, long term and he'd kind of be a cornerstone. But just with how, how varying the reports are from both sides, it doesn't seem like a long-term deal is going to happen. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be in the city. So... I'm not going to speculate on what we get from him. I just don't think he's a Carolina Panther this coming fall. So with that being said, I think we're wrapped up here at Perfect Takes. If you guys have any questions for us, we're going to be breaking down. Are we breaking down offensive tackles or interior? No, we're breaking down tight ends. Tight next ends. So yeah. um, we obviously won't have our, our chance of getting Brock Bowers, but I think there are a couple um, day two, day three guys that might be some good plug and play. We have a good tight end room, so to speak, already. 
in Carolina, but we'll get more into that next week. Uh, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next week.